Hello everybody, I hope you're doing well wherever you're listening to this. Welcome to Impactful Conversations, a platform to educate and inspire. My name is Tafadzwa Nglovu, and thank you for listening to this episode. So on this show, I interview and speak to individuals who are making a difference in their world. Individuals who have a different way of thinking and are forming as leaders in their respective fields. We also have a YouTube channel. If you go there and search Impactful Conversations, you'll find us over there. And please do subscribe to the content to keep up to date. We also have a newsletter that we do every month with some content from our episodes, along with some interesting pieces that we have come across. You can sign up for that by heading over to our website, impactfulconversations.co.za. And I'd also love to hear some of your feedback on the episode that you're about to listen to, either by writing us a review or giving us a five-star rating, or by heading over to our website, which again is impactfulconversations.co.za. Anyway, wherever you're listening to this, I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi there, everybody, and welcome to Impactful Conversations. Uh, very happy 2021 to you. I'm uh, very excited to bring you our first episode of 2021. And we're starting the year off with the bang um, with a new series called the Critical Infrastructure Series, powered by Sebenzana. Um, or you might see the hashtag on social media, uh, hashtag Critical Infrastructure SA. And what that's really about is kickstarting an innovative discussion about rethinking managing our critical infrastructure in South Africa. And, you know, critical infrastructure as a definition, you know, can can be taken quite broadly. But in essence, it boils down to any infrastructure, you know, that has a direct and major impact on society and hence the economy. And so today with my first guest of the series, I've got Alistair Moody here. Uh, Alistair is the product manager of SAMP, the smart asset management platform. Uh, which we'll get to hear about as well a little bit later. Uh, I think the first thing you can see is they actually, you know, make really cool shirts. That's actually a Samp shirt that Alice is wearing at the moment. Um, so it's a really cool shirt and really cool shoes, which you haven't seen, but I can guarantee you they're also really cool <laughs> shoes better. as well. <laughs> oh, you yeah. might as well show us. Yeah. <laughs> well, show us shoes. Hey, there we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome shoes, right? Like super awesome shoes. And I'm super, super glad that um, that you know that we actually get to have Alistair here with us today in the virtual room. Alistair, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, it's a really an honor and and a pleasure for me to be able to interview you um, here. Um, how are you doing this morning? Um, I'm assuming you're in Johannesburg, which means that it's probably a a, a cloudy slash drizzly slash rainy morning as it would be typically in Cape Town, I guess. Yeah, no, it's it's about that. I enjoy mornings like this though. It's very chilled. Yeah, I must admit I, I also quite enjoy it as well. Um but as the it's it's fantastic to have you here with us, you know, in the room to talk about, you know, critical infrastructure. But you know, before we sort of dive into that, I really, you know, want to discuss um or get to know you a little bit better. Um, and for the listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So I guess to start off with, um, please let us know, you know, where were you born? Um, you know, where did you grow up and where did you attend university? Yeah, um, Joburg, born and bred. Uh, awesome. um, yeah, I was actually born in the Joburg gen and lived in the south of Joburg for a long time. Mm. And then moved to kind of the Randburg area, uh, studied at WIT, mm-hmm. uh, mechanical engineering. Um, 
and uh, then worked at Le Tabo. So I, I lived a little bit kind of in the in the Val Triangle for yeah. a while. Um, but yeah, Joburg's definitely home. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. And yeah, Joburg's been home for me for for over you know a decade, and I absolutely love it. I I regularly argue with people, you know, when they say which is the best city to live in in South Africa. I say Joburg, but I know some people have a different opinion. So you spent time in Cape Town. That's a good call. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've spent I've spent four years in Cape Town, so I I, I feel like I'm 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 in a good space to make that judgment call. <laughs> but I'll um I guess to start off with, I wanted to discuss um you know engineering and talking mm. about particularly. Um, something which, you know, you and I discussed off air a few months ago around, you know, cultivating an innovative engineering culture. Um, but before we sort of get into that, I, I would really love to know what caused you to begin to be passionate about engineering? Where did that sort of passion start for you? I've, I've always enjoyed problem solving. Mm. Uh, I enjoy understanding things down to the first principles and then using that understanding to solve problems. It's it's just how, I built, how I'm built, I think. Mm. And for me, engineering epitomizes that. It's our job to uh, take the information we have, which is not always all the information, we've just got to work with what we've got and yeah. solve problems. Effectively, Absolutely. it doesn't even always have to be the perfect solution. It's just got to be a solution that's adequate. Mm. Mm. See, so, yeah, I love that. Solution personality and what I love doing. I love that definition of engineering. It's a it's quite a powerful definition, you know, and taking the information that we have and you know solving solving problems and not necessarily coming up with the perfect solution. I absolutely love that. So you've you've worked in different environments obviously in, in your career. Um, and you know I suppose based off of the sort of experience that you have, um, I'd love to know what do you think are the keys um, to cultivating an innovative engineering culture, um, particularly, yeah. I, I, I want to focus particularly, you know, for young people. Yeah. Um, I, I had, yeah, I've had, I've had some really good experience with that. Um, I had the opportunity to start uh, with ESCON. I'm very grateful for, I mean, ESCON gave me a bursary, um, um, so I studied with their, with their assistance. And then I went to go work at Le Table Power Station uh, as an engineer in training. And mm -hmm. it was this golden opportunity to learn this amazing plant um, with very little responsibility for, for that engineer in training program. Yeah. Um, I got a very good grounding in, in uh, I was with the operators, with the maintenance guys, uh, just feet on the ground. And then I went across to Kelvin Power Station, mm -hmm. small IPP in Joburg, um, relatively small compared to ESCOM, large compared to other IPPs. Mm. Um, and that is a, a very much more uh, privatized, dynamic environment. And there I got to see what, uh, how you can bring innovation into that sort of environment. Mm. And by bringing, what it comes down to is bringing people together. It all comes down to people. It always does. Yes. Um, and bringing people in with different backgrounds and mixing them in the pot. And they will they will come into an environment with ideas that just seem so obvious to them that are completely not obvious to the people that are already there. It's happened to me. Someone's brought ideas that 
are like blindingly obvious to them and they couldn't believe I wasn't doing it already. <laughs> uh, I've done it as well. I've brought ideas that were just normal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's that, it's bringing like this, making a melting pot of experience and, and keeping mm-hmm. that going. Don't stagnate. Keep moving people around and bringing new experience in. But then it's also just being open-minded. Uh, good ideas come from a lot of places. They come from uh, guys that are backward students. I've just had that experience. He's had a backward student, and had a, he's just ended his time with us um, yesterday. And um, we had like a closeout meeting with him, and he brought some stuff up. And I was like, "Why aren't we doing that already? That's a really good idea." Uh, yeah. Two um, mentors that are in their 70s and 80s. Um, Every, there's a whole spectrum. I think it's just you need an open-minded environment where everyone is willing to change their minds about mm-hmm. stuff, uh, and that that cultivates innovation. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah, I think that's really powerful, right? Because, and I I love the part you know where you you sort of talked about bringing in new ideas. So I mean, there's there's sort of two parts of that which you which you've highlighted, you know, quite quite mm-hmm. quite powerfully, which is you know, it's important to bring in new ideas, but it's also important to be open to them as well. And, you know, to actually be open to to things that, you know, might seem blindingly obvious to to me, but not to you, right? Because, you know, if, what is it, new brooms or fresh eyes see the dirt on the floor? You know, it's almost like you, yeah. you just look at things and you're like, hang on, why, why is yeah. it like this? And then it's like, well, I've been walking past there for the past, you know, year, and I've never noticed that. So, it's, you know, so I think it's really important to sort of cultivate that. And I mean, I suppose on the long, along those lines, um, what what advice would you give to a young engineer, um, perhaps say starting out their career, or you know, maybe is starting out this year at the beginning of the year at the moment, you know. Um, maybe they're just about to start out in the workplace. What advice would you give to a young engineer that you possibly wish you had known at that stage in your career? Um, the, so there's, there's advice that I would definitely give that I only really articulated to myself later on, um, mm-hmm. but I had been, but it's not as though I missed out on it. And it's, it's just that don't worry about being promoted or uh, making a big salary early on. Get that, our feet on the ground experience. Just mm. be in a, a position where you can get that and then absorb it, soak it up like a sponge. That serves you in such good stead later on. Just having that that understanding and grounding in the real world. Um, then, uh, I mean, I did start at ESCOM and leaving ESCOM and going into the private sector was quite a shock. Uh, so guys that are in that environment, I mean, we have, we have large parastatals. Um, just be aware that the, the world's very different. There is a, a significant step change between being in the public sector and the private. Um, yeah. And it's, it's worth moving back and forth, I think. Um, it's, it's, it's worth having that experience of both. Um, mm. is, there are good and bad parts to both. Mm. Um, and then one last thing would just be something that one of my mentors, um, older engineer, he just said, be the engineer. Um, whenever you're forced to make a decision, uh, just remember, be the engineer. The production guys look after production. Um, the, the maintenance guys will look after maintenance. You're there to be the engineer. 
Go back to first principles. Look at the problem. Remember that you're there for the long-term health of the plant and to keep people safe, most importantly. Just remember those things and make the decisions in that paradigm. I love that. Be the engineer. That's that's really that's that's again so 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 simple but so profound, yeah. right? Um, absolutely love that. And and thank you for for sharing that for sharing that advice. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that's quite pertinent for whoever's going to be listening to this. So I, I guess you know we we started off quite fast. I want to I want to sort of you know uh, slow it down a little bit. And I suppose, you know, just again, get to know a little bit more. Um, I'm quite interested to know, uh, particularly, I suppose now in the sort of COVID-19 pandemic, um, what is your typical work day like? Yeah, that changed, hey? <laughs> April, March, April last year. It would be a yeah. different story. Um, yeah, so I've been doing a lot of working from home, mm-hmm. um, particularly in uh, managing SAMP, owning SAMP um, means that a lot of my work can be remote. Um, yeah. So it's it's starting the day with the meeting with my team, uh, making sure that uh, everyone brings up the things that are blocking them carrying on any issues we need to sort out. Then it's moving into solving those issues, just removing the log jams, getting everyone going. If there's decisions I need to make mm. for them to carry on, then we do that. And then it's into, gosh, a broad spectrum. I because it's because I'm now owning Sam. It's my baby. It's my passion. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into it. Ah, it's telling the story about what we're doing, um, uh, chatting to clients, finding out, getting feedback from them, finding out what their concerns are, mm-hmm. and then addressing their concerns. Designing features, like actually sitting down with a developer and designing features that need to go into the platform to solve client problems. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, business development, uh, going to sites to go visit clients and see plants. It's it's broad. Yeah, <laughs> so the yeah. Structure, the rest of it has a lot of variety, which I, which I actually quite enjoy. And, and and I think you're quite right in that you know that has changed. I guess we were sort of in a in a technology work mix at the moment where with the COVID-19 pandemic we've been forced to sort of evolve much quicker than we probably would have you know yeah. in the sense of virtual meetings and the sense of reduction of travel unless it's essential and you you know probably need to go and see I think in the world of engineering it's even changed as well when you need to go see a site other than that you might not travel as much whereas you may have you know traveled five six times a week to five six different places but now all of a sudden instead of a a three four hour trip it's just a two hour call and then you know you actually sort of free up your time to to become productive um so i think it's a really really interesting space and then i i i want to ask you so there's there's often a perception um and being an engineer myself there's often a perception that you know we we we're a bit boring right <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you you mentioned the phrase "be the engineer." There's often the perception that that's all we are, right? That that's that's like that we don't, don't do much else. That like yeah. you know, we just wake up and we're the engineer until we go to bed. So I want to mm-hmm. know, you know, what do you do to switch off? What do you do for fun? You know, when you're not the engineer, I'm really curious to know. Yeah, this isn't gonna sound. I, I so I enjoy playing with um, racing drones. Oh, awesome! Like, yeah, I mean, it's lots of fun. It's kind of engineering related, um, <laughs> but it's, 
actually just fun. No, I um, think I think I think we'll let that one pass. It's not engineering. <laughs> we'll let that one pass. Then <laughs> um, yeah. I, I I enjoy getting outdoors. I enjoy reading. Um, yeah, that, I mean that's changed a bit in the last year as well. A bit less socialized than usual. Uh, but a good prize always good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I find uh, those things quite relaxing. And uh, yes, I find it so important, especially working from home. It's yes. so easy to just let your day draw into working until late at night just yes. because you're living in your office. Yes. Um, so important to have a hobby and just be interested in something else mm. just because you switch your mind off and get it onto a different track. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's really, really powerful. Um, and thank you for for alleviating the the perception that we're boring. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. For that. I feel like it should be something way out there, like painting or. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do enjoy sketching. I do enjoy sketching. Like a part a part time yeah. architect or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> but hey, look, racing drones is 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 super super interesting. That that sounds. That sounds quite enthralling. So I want us to talk smart asset management, right? And, mm. um, you know, and yeah, I guess before we get to the smart asset management platform, um, firstly, critical infrastructure. Um, how would you define critical infrastructure in a South African context? Mm. Um the South African context is interesting, and it it's, mm. it is different to the world context, especially when you look. If we do like a, a typical first world comparison, um, we're in South Africa. Um, it's a challenging economic environment, um, which means that it's not as easy to justify building new infrastructure. Uh, finding capital for that isn't always so easy uh, mm. for a variety of reasons. But that means that we have a lot of um, some new-ish, some quite old assets. I'm talking like big assets that are, they don't have a lot of redundancy. When they fail, they have a significant impact on that business and so on the economy and on mm. society. Talking about like electricity supply, water supply, transport. We have a lot of that in South Africa that if we look after it well, what we have, so it's not about it's not always about building new things. Building new things is a requirement. We have to, things need to be refreshed and, and we need to keep that going. But yeah. we need to also look after what's already there. Um, and it's those assets, the ones that when they fail, they have a significant impact. They don't have a lot of redundancy. Um, and we really need to pay attention to how we uh, maintain them and how we operate them. Mm. Yeah. To make sure that they carry on doing what they need to do. Um yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, that, that sort of, you know, two-pronged approach in terms of, you know, we do have to take care of existing infrastructure. That is absolutely critical, um, you know, particularly in the impact that it has on people, both in a positive sense if it if it's taken care of and in a negative sense if it's not, um, as well as, you know, bring new ideas and innovation to the table. And so in, in that context, um, in layman's terms, what is smart asset management all about? Um, the actual sort of phrase, we always hear, you know, smart, and maybe not in the, the, the financial asset management sense, <laughs> or in the, in the yeah. physical, we, yeah, I, I think just to, just to sort of, you know, clear that out, but what is smart asset management all about in layman's terms? And why do you think, why do you think we actually need it? Why is it important? 
Yeah. Asset traditional asset management uh, relies a lot. So all asset management relies on good decision making. Mm. Good decision making is key. Now there are lots of different things that feed into decision making. It's um, manufacturer's recommendations, uh, good practice standards, mm. uh, the information you get from the plant, the the maintenance information that you have of its so its, its history. Mm. Uh, Smart asset management is the idea of bringing all of those inputs that help you make your decisions, bringing it together. And then just the first step is just making it easily available. I, I've been there. I looked after the turbines at Latabo for a while. I looked after the turbines at Kelvin. Um, there's sometimes a severe lack of information. You're trying to make a decision and you don't know what the history is. Mm. Uh, some plant doesn't have the information you need and you don't have the right recommendations. If you could just make that information readily available, that's yeah. an amazing first step. Just just have it there so that you can just feed your brain with the right things to help you make the right decisions. The next step is to do interesting things with that information. You combine those data streams and you can do a spectrum of things from just putting that information together in a nice graphic. Um, so you can do some very basic analysis putting it together in a graphic interface that makes it understandable so that you yeah. can make it just all the way through to training machine learning models. Yeah. Machine learning can be incredibly powerful if you have the right data set. Mm. Uh, and often the data sets that have been used are very, it's either just the instrumentation data from the plant um, or, yeah, uh, there's a variety of things. But if you bring all of that data together, all of those streams together, you mm. could, we're seeing that you can do some pretty amazing things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, it's, it's that coming together uh, that we think of as smart asset management. Mm. Absolutely love that definition. That's that's such a that's such an insightful you know way to to look at it, and I think that that really sort of encapsulates what it's all about. And so, I guess a question to you is around, you know, what do you think if you assess where we are? Um, both sort of from a parastatal and from a private sort of asset management or critical infrastructure management perspective, what do you think we actually need to start doing differently? And what do you think are sort of the discussions that we start need to start sort of having? I lost you there for a little bit. Oh, sorry. I said, um, if I had to ask you, so, you know, from a... a from, from building on what you've what you said um, around sort of smart asset management and what it is, what do you think from a, a parastatal and from a private sort of perspective, um, mm. both both sort of approaches, what do you think we need to start doing differently? Um, you know, and what do you think are sort of the discussions that we need to start having that are different from the way that we're currently doing things right now? Uh, so I've been part of both environments. Mm. Interesting. Um, and I've, I've, so I've seen a, a spectrum in in the parastatal world. And I mean, my, my experience is ESCOM, so I'm going to relate it to that. Mm -hmm. Decisions are sometimes, um, it's done in a way that is skewed by heavily by some influences over others. Um, okay. In some cases, the, the, uh, the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, have a a heavy say in, in what goes on on the plant. And often that's the right call, 
but in some cases it's not. Uh, because, I mean, their motivation is that um, they've put the plant down, it needs to keep running. They, uh, there's no incentive for them to take risk in their decisions. They're always going to be conservative, understandably. They aren't responsible for the production of the plant. Um, the decision-making structures can also be quite deep. So decisions have to, deep, have to go quite high. Um, so to think differently, it's, it's not an easy thing to solve. Um, in, in the ESCOM context, because it is such a big organization, um, you need to, ideally, you have smaller decision-making structures with good people that can then um, receive the right information, they have the right motivations, and then they can make and execute decisions fairly quickly. Instead of taking a long time to make big decisions, so yeah. if, you make the, if you make a big decision wrongly, you end up with a big mistake. Yes. If you can make smaller decisions faster, they're going to be mistakes. There are always going to be mistakes. But if you can make those smaller decisions faster, those mistakes can be made, learned from, corrected, and the next decision can be made rapidly. Mm. With decision-making structures and, and sometimes skewed influences, that becomes quite difficult. Yes. Um, and that does slow things down a lot. In the private industry, um, it's, uh, because production is king, typically, I mean, there's a private companies they need to it's their job to make money. That's what they're there for. They make products to, uh, that go to the market and then they get paid to that. Um, mm. Their decision-making is quick and sometimes is done in uh, an environment where not all the information is available, understandably mm. so. If we can get to a stage where the information is rapidly available and the analysis is done rapidly, then those decisions can still be made rapidly, but they can be better decisions. Yeah. Be perfect. Yeah. Just need to be better, and that um, and we've we've seen it. Uh, the effect is tangible. It's you see very tangible short-term effects, and the the long-term benefits are significant, very yeah. significant. Um, so yeah, I just in in the private sector, simply just having information better available and better analysed, mm. uh, a big difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. And I, I absolutely, you know, quite an eye-opening response that you that you've given there around, you know, having access to to the information, um, but also sort of forming forming the right teams, uh, you know, and maybe smaller little decision-making structures and so on. So I think that's that's an incredibly interesting and insightful take. Um, tell me, tell me about the. The smart asset management platform, or, or SAMP as it's called, um, I'm quite interested in this. You know, what is it? What is it geared to achieve and address? And I suppose, you know, what what is the inception of its of its or what what actually is the purpose of its inception at the beginning? Yep, it started out as a spreadsheet actually. To okay. Help manage, uh, that it got more and more complex, bringing more and more things in. Mm. Um, I then went to a spreadsheet that had some Visual Basic uh, written for it. And then we decided, we just made the call, let's code our own platform. Mm. And we've been on that journey for several years now. The idea is actually to do what I've been talking about. Um, bring information together in a way that helps plant owners make decisions. It's, mm. That's the, the simple core of it. The execution is complicated because yes. some... Some information is readily available. A lot of, I mean, most plants have streams of data coming in from instrumentation. That's all available. 
that that information is is okay to get at. The hard information to get at is often the maintenance, so it's inspections, repairs, and replacements. Mm-hmm. That is typically stored on spreadsheets on people's hard drives, on paper in, in on paper in files in a filing cabinet, uh, PDFs on people's hard drives, and yes. it's. It takes when you when you want to bring that information into your decision making. It takes a lot of time because you need to dig them up, read them, analyze them, draw the right conclusions, and then put them into your decision making cycle. And that's uh, it takes time. So when decisions yes. do need to be made rapidly, it's we often we often just rely on people's memories. Yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, I've, I've done a. It, it, this fascinates me. I mean, honestly, this is like my passion. Um, how people make decisions is incredibly interesting. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading about it, and humans are—we are not great decision makers. <laughs> um, and so there's a, a lot to be gained by. Um, so we built this platform, and and we mm-hmm. built it so that we can make those gains by bringing all of this stuff together, and making yep. it. The information needs to be um, applicable, easy to get at, and relatively accurate. Mm. And I suppose that, that that actually then enables, you know, what we've been discussing around, you know, actually managing your your critical infrastructure better, and you know, increasing and actually maximizing the value of of those assets, such that we can positively impact the lives of people. So, so thank you very much for for you know the good work that you're that you're doing, mm-hmm. and you know for for making people's lives better. That's actually you know super super important. And, you know, for, for your final question, I've, I've got a featured question from uh, the audience. Um, you know, so I asked for, for questions from our, our listeners, you know, in terms of, you know, anything that they would like to ask you. And, you know, I've got a number of questions and, you know, I've, I'm going to feature one here, um, which, you know, it's quite a, a lengthy question, but I'll read it out for you. Um, and I think it's a, I think it's a brilliant question. Um, here we go. So uh, it says, hi, Al. Uh, frequently, industries implement maintenance schemes which are based on equipment manufacturers' recommendations, um, which may not apply changes throughout the asset's life cycle. In this sense, several philosophies, methodologies, and standards seek to assist in this process. But most of them do not take into consideration the operation characteristics, production necessity, as you mentioned, I think, you know, around production is king, and, and other factors that are regarded as being important uh, to a specific company. Critical equipment uh, or infrastructure may not have been manufactured uniquely for the organization's specific facilities, operators, or supplies. The challenge is thus to restructure maintenance strategy uh, strategies timelessly, and hence to guarantee a high reliability level of the production system operators. Concurrently, there's a growing need to align human resources with the latest technologies. With a lack of expertise, companies will continue using conventional methods. If the skill is not available, companies are reluctant to implement new technologies. So, here's the actual question. I suppose that was more the background. <laughs> In your opinion, when regarding three fundamental pillars for highly reliable systems, um, when regarding the three fundamental pillars for highly reliable systems, firstly, managing your information, secondly, creating indicators, and thirdly, restructuring preventative maintenance plans. How important are the efforts invested into simultaneously aligning human resource skills to the introduction, implementation, and continuous development 
of smart asset management systems, considering the downsizing of companies in South Africa as a result of competitiveness across markets during and post the COVID-19 pandemic? So a brilliant question. But yeah. Bold question. <laughs> um, I think what that comes down to is is people. Okay. Mm. Um, the so I mean it's it's it, yeah it is a really good question. Um, part of uh, this the the things that we see um, are so we can we can bring technology to bear on problems, but technology doesn't solve problems. People solve problems. Yeah. It's uh, that's key, and I've like. I feel like I need to get a tattoo just to keep myself <laughs> out of it. I'm so in the tech world now. Yeah. But it, it's so true. Um, and it's so important to bring people on a journey and to always remember that it's the people that solve the problems. Um, we've, I mean, we've had, uh, on the sites that we're involved in, that we're running the platform on, um, there are these, there are people that are reluctant to engage. It's, it's part of a world they're not enthusiastic about. Um, and so what we do is we put, I mean, we've, we've also, we've got some really bright young engineers that love technology. Mm. Um, so we put them onto site and they become a bridge. And it, uh, it's, it's such a nice, um, it's such a nice environment to be in because they are, they're very good at, at um, managing the platform on behalf of the client. Mm. And it's the bits that the client isn't interested in being involved in. Mm. Then they get to interact with the client. The, the guys on site that have been there for years um, and that are solving these problems. And so the young engineers learn from the older guys and they get to help them by producing this information that the guys know is valuable to their client. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, I think the key is just technology doesn't solve problems by itself. Yeah. It's people. Yeah. Um, and, and we have to bring them along on the journey. Yeah. Um, we're part of that journey. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a really, you know, technology doesn't solve problems; people do. That's quite a, quite a lovely, a lovely quote. And I think, you know, that's 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 that that succinctly, you know, summarizes it up. That actually, we we have to put the focus on the people ultimately as well, because actually, that's that's where the problems ultimately get solved. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Just a, another thought that came to mind there is that. It, I mean, it's the, it's the technology that empowers the people, I think. Yes. It's just there it is. Mm. like, uh, I mean, the, the question did mention companies downsizing and stuff. The, the skill base in South Africa is diminishing. Um, we see it um, either through people retiring or immigrating. Um, and then young engineers coming through, then they've been accelerated through the ranks. They don't necessarily always have the foundation they could have. Um, but using, yeah, so we we can use technology to make the people that we do have more effective yeah. and more powerful in, in how they make their decisions. Mm. Cool, mm. sorry. Yeah, that <laughs> 100%. That, 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 that's, really, that's really powerful and impactful, and, and, and thank you for that. And I suppose, you know, all of that meshed in together um, helps us to, to rethink and, you know, manage our critical infrastructure better. Um, no matter where it may be, and ultimately make people's lives better. Oh, yeah. I just want to thank you so much um, for coming onto the platform. It's it's been a lovely a lovely chat, and I think a super uh, educational chat 
for me and no doubt you know for anybody who's who's listening to this um i do want to thank you for for being a part of the the critical infrastructure community um of impactful conversations a community that we've just formed and i want to thank you for coming onto the show um for sharing your insights and i'm sure this will this will gear up uh, 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 lots of discussions on social media and I would encourage anybody to listening to this uh, you know to use the hashtag critical infrastructure SA and you know we'll engage with you but also to join the community which is um, on impactfulconversations.co.za so that we can share with you you know some of the thoughts some of the episodes as well as you know get to answer your questions as well so I'll thank you so much for your wonderful insights I want to thank you uh, for coming onto the show, for sharing, you know, your your insightful knowledge, which I think, you know, is really a privilege to have been in the same virtual room as you uh, to actually get that knowledge firsthand. So I really, really do appreciate you coming onto the show. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Tamba. Awesome. So, uh, you know, from Al and myself to you, the listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you for engaging with us. Um, please do send through your thoughts. Head over to impactfulconversations.co.za. Let us know how you found the episode. And we look forward to seeing you in part two of the series. From Al and myself, cheers and bye-bye. Yes. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the episode. I hope that you were impacted positively and that you found substance and significance whilst listening to the episode. Head over to the Impactful Conversations website at impactfulconversations.co.za to find out more about the show. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star rating. You can also check out and subscribe to my episodes in video format on the Impactful Conversations YouTube channel. Just head over to YouTube and search Impactful Conversations. Thank you to all who have listened in and subscribed. Why not share the episode with a family member or a friend who you think could be positively impacted? Anyway, until the next episode, bye-bye, stay safe, stay healthy, and wash your hands.